But you know, lately I have been studying uh, and, and listening to a lot of uh, sermons and reading a lot of books on when God moves upon nations and communities. Um, and when we read the book of Acts, we read that, that there was these 120 believers who were together. They were scared. They were petrified because they thought that the Jews were going to come. The Jewish leaders were going to come and they were going to arrest them and they were going to put them to death like they did to Jesus. And they were weak and they didn't know what to do. And then suddenly God came and outpoured his power and his presence and his spirit upon these people. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. And the next thing you know is God is just transforming a community like never before. And one thing that I, I think I've discovered over the last couple of months, weeks, months, is this. Is that a church should be measured, the health and the effectiveness of a church should be me- measured not on how many people go to the church, not how much money that church has, not how big that church's building is, not how many people are involved in ministry or how many ministries that church has, but a church should be measured on the state of the community that that church is in. And when I look at at the community around, and I look at the United States, and we live in what we call the mega church era. I mean, you see them on TV, there's mega churches everywhere, and some of them are really good churches, great churches. And we have more megachurches than we've ever had in the United States, ever in the history of the United States. But yet our communities are further away from God as they've ever been before. And so my question is, is are we healthy as a church? If our community is, is so far away from God, then are we healthy as a church? And you know, every move of God that has ever happened in the history of mankind has followed a time when God's people have decided to get on their knees and pray for an extended period of time. The disciples in the book of Acts, the Bible tells us that they got together and they probably prayed for about 40 days. They met every day together and prayed and then suddenly God just poured out His Spirit upon that community. And you you look through history and you see just different times when God has transformed communities It always followed a group of people who got together and got on their knees and prayed. And you know, there is no shortcut in your life, in my life, in this church's life, or in this community's life, to God moving in a powerful way. There is no shortcut. We see throughout the Bible that before God rained down His Spirit and His blessing and His deliverance on people, There was a time, in almost every case, it felt like God had deserted them. It felt like God had just forgotten about them. The disciples, Jesus had died, Jesus got rose from the dead, then Jesus left them, and suddenly they've got Jesus, their leader, the one that they're following, and then suddenly Jesus isn't there. And it felt like God had left them and deserted them. And you see, throughout the history of Israel, which a lot of the Bible is written about, it feels like God has left them, that God has been deserted, and they're asking, God, where are you? And then suddenly God comes and moves in incredible ways. It was almost like these people had nothing left. And when you see the history of God moving in communities, you almost find that people are just totally empty and got nothing left in the tank. That sometimes 
They don't even know how to do the simple act of prayer. Because they're so worn out. And we discussed last week that it is only through humility that God desires to cut desires us to come to him and we, we, we looked at this door last week uh, and we read from uh, 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 Revelation chapter 3 and there was a church uh, uh, in a city called Laodicea and, and the Bible was saying that Jesus was knocking on the door and knocking on the door of their hearts and the only way that that door could be opened was through humility and so we discussed that and I feel like so many people think that if they just pray long enough and hard enough, that God will answer their prayer. I feel that so many people, and, 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 and we see it from, from people who just, just become a Christian or just give their lives to Jesus Christ, to people who have been Christians or given their lives to Jesus Christ for 50 years, they think if we just pray long enough and hard enough, it will happen and God will answer prayer. And then a lot of the times what happens is that they pray and they pray and then God doesn't answer and God and they don't see God. And then they suddenly think, well, God doesn't care about me or God has given up on me or or God doesn't want to answer my prayer. And people lose faith. I mean, we've had people who've come into this church and they came into this church because they had such a need in their lives. And then God didn't answer that need because they came with the mentality of God, just all I want is God to meet this need. Instead of coming to God in humility and realizing that they're awesome need for God, they just wanted God to answer a prayer request. And when God didn't answer a prayer request, they started to lose faith in God. And the reality is, is we can pray all we like, but without humility, the door that God is knocking on, will never open. God will not answer the prayer of the proud. God will only answer the prayer of the humble. And you know, when, whenever we do humbly become, come before the throne of God, when we do start to show humility, and when we do start to, to realize that it is by humility that we open the door to God, suddenly that door opens. And on the other side is Jesus waiting to embrace us and take us in. Jesus ready to dwell in our presence. And now, once we open that door that Jesus is knocking on, now we have the ability to come to God and pray. You know, God told Solomon, he said, if you want to see a blessing in your land, if you want to see freedom, if you want to see a freshness, if you want to see God restore your land, then first you must do a couple of things. God said, said if you want God to, me to restore your land, then first you must humble yourselves. And we've talked about that, humbling ourselves. He says, then you must pray, then you must seek my face, then you must turn from your wickedness and your sin. He says, and then I will hear from heaven. He'll hear our prayers. Then he'll forgive our sins. And then he will restore our land. And so God told Solomon, he says that you must pray. And you know, God desires that his people pray. That is how we communicate with God. And we just did a whole series uh, uh, a couple of months ago called Hey There God, all about prayer and what prayer is. But yet when the humble starts to pray. When the one is filled with humility, 
starts to pray, suddenly the heavens start to shake. And the heavens start to move. And when the person who is full of humility and humble themselves before God, when they start to pray, suddenly there's like a rattling going on. There's a noise that that is going on in the heavenlies. And this is what the noise is. It is God bending down and bringing His ear closer so that He can start to hear your prayer. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, God told Solomon, he says, if, you, if my people humble themselves and pray. The, prayer, the word here, prayer, that, 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 that is used, is not just any old word of, of prayer. It's not like good food, good meat, praise the Lord, let's eat. You know, it's not like, thank you, Lord, for my food, amen. It's not, it's not a, Lord, uh, protect my family, protect my kids. It's not that kind of prayer. It's not the kind of prayer that's like, Lord, bless me, or Lord, give me a huge raise, or Lord, take my boss out because he's annoying me. You know, it's not that kind of prayer. The word here in Hebrew is this word. It's a word called poor L, poor L. So when, when God told Solomon, he says, if my people humble themselves and then pray with a poor L Prayer. The word poor al means this. It means to intercede or mediate on behalf of somebody else. To intercede or mediate on behalf of somebody else. It's almost like being a lawyer and coming before a jury and start to convince the jury that the person that they are represented, represented uh, that the person that they represent is innocent of the crime that they've been committed. And that's what God is d- said to Solomon. He says, if my people humble themselves and then start to mediate or start to intercede for other people on their behalf. God was telling Solomon, he says, the people have to intercede for the land. The Bible says that there was all these plagues going on. And, 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 and within the plagues, the land had been destroyed. And God was saying to the people, you must mediate for the land. So the land is here. And God is here. And as you, Solomon, you must tell the people, be in between. Be a link between the land and God. Intercede. Mediate on their behalf. They were to be the ones who would stand before God and please their cl- plead their case. And you know, so often in church life, we think that intercession, and if you've been in church for a long time, you know this. There's people who say, I've got the gift of intercession. Or, God has blessed me to be able to intercede. And we hear that a lot, and we hear the gift of intercession. Well, the reality is, is that God doesn't call individuals to intercede. God calls whole churches to intercede. And if you are a believer of Jesus Christ today, then you have been called to intercede and mediate on behalf of other people. You have the awesome privilege, the Bible tells us, that we can now boldly approach the throne of grace, the throne of God. You have the ability to go right up to God and make your requests known unto God. And if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, 
then you have been called to intercede. You know, one of the best examples in the Bible of intercession is found in a story where there was actually no prayer going on at all. No prayer at all. Because I think so often, especially for, like I've been in church for a long, long time, and next year is, is it next year? Let me think. Next year, it's going to be like 25 years since I gave my life to the Lord. I'm like, I'm not that old. I'm like, am I even 25? I don't even think I am, right? And, uh, but, but I, I gave my life to the Lord 25 years ago. And this is my picture of intercession. My picture of intercession is a group of ladies coming together, holding hands, and just like really going at it in prayer, like kneeling before God and going at it. And, 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 and getting really intense before God. That really isn't what intercession is all about. Let me show you a story. If you want to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. It says there, it says, When Jesus returns to the town of Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. It says, Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. So now Jesus is in this home, and suddenly all the crowds are just like descended on this home, and, they, uh, and they're everywhere. The crowds are everywhere. No one else can get into this home. Then it says, while Jesus was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, I don't know what the translation of that is, but if, if I've got a friend and he's paralyzed, I'm not carrying him on a mat. I mean, like, I mean, you can just drop the mat quite easily. But anyway, so you've got four guys, and they were carrying this, this friend of theirs who was paralyzed. He couldn't walk on a mat. And it says, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Remember, no one else could get into the house because there were so many people in this house. It says, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Now, this is kind of crazy. I mean, could you imagine? These four men, they are so desperate to meet Jesus. They're carrying a guy on a mat. They get to the house, and they're looking around. They're like, okay, how can we get to Jesus? And one guy comes up with a great idea. He's like, hey, how about the roof? I mean, you can just, I'm just picturing this for a moment. Could you imagine four guys carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, climbing up a roof? I mean, that's just like pretty funny. I mean, the risks involved, I'm sure, you know, they probably almost dropped the man. But anyway, so they climb up the roof and then they dug a hole into the roof. Now, if you're the house owner, the, the homeowner, imagine what you're thinking. You're like, what are you doing? You know, you have Jesus come to your house, you have all these people come, and then suddenly the party gets out of control, and all these people start digging a hole into your roof. I would not be best pleased. It says, then, the full man lowered the man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus says to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive their sins. Because they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. 
So they thought, what is Jesus doing? How can he forgive sins? Then in verse 8 it says, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your, heart, in your hearts? It is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up and pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus said, like, I'm going to prove to you that I have the authority to forgive sins. It says, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers that were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this done before. So here, you've got the story of a man who's paralyzed. This man cannot walk. We don't know when he was paralyzed. We don't know if it was at birth. We don't know if he got involved in an accident. All we know is that this man could not walk. He was stuck to the place that he was. In those days, they didn't have wheelchairs. They didn't have those electronic carts that you get at Walmart, you know, and you go through and, and, you know, annoy everybody else because you're like, get out of my way. Anything like that. So this man was stuck to the place that he was at. And I've come to the conclusion that many of us and many people in our community, they are paralyzed. They're not physically paralyzed like this man. But instead, they are spiritually paralyzed. You know, we have friends and we have family and we have neighbors who are paralyzed spiritually. And the reality for this man was he was not capable of going to Jesus by himself. He wasn't capable. Jesus was at this place. He was here. And he was not able to get up on his feet and walk to Jesus. For this man was paralyzed. And unless Jesus came to this man, then there was no way that this man could meet Jesus. So the friends took it on themselves and they decided to put him on this mat and they carried him. They got to the house and they realized that the house was full. And for most of us, if we had come to the place where this man was, if we had realized that we had carried him but we could not get to Jesus, I wonder what our response would have been. I wonder what we would have said. I think many of us probably would have said, well, if it's God's will, then Jesus will come out and heal him. Many of us may have said, well, obviously it's not right. It's not the right time for Jesus to heal this man because we can't get in to see them. Others would have said, oh, young man, he said, if you just had the faith, then, then Je- that, that Jesus can heal you, then you can just get up and walk. But these young men didn't do that. These young men decided that they were going to get to Jesus at all costs. And they were going to take this paralyzed friend of theirs at all costs. And that is what intercession is. It is taking people who can't get to Jesus or situations that can't get to Jesus by themselves. And you picking them up and you taking them to Jesus. So what did they do? They climbed up onto the roof. And I used to have this Bible when I was a kid at uh, um, this children's Bible with all these pictures in and stuff. 
And I always remember seeing this story. And you see these guys creating this roof, uh, this hole in this roof. And they started lowering this rope down. They tied the guy to the rope. I don't know how they lowered him. But this is kind of my image. And they took a rope and they lowered the rope to Jesus. And they lowered the man to Jesus. So that there was no doubt that Jesus could see this man. These guys were true intercessors. They were going to get this man to Jesus at all costs. Their love and compassion for their friend was so great that they did not give up. Even when they saw that there was no way to get to Jesus. They carried on. And this is exactly what God was saying to Solomon. When he said, if my people will humble themselves, and then they will pray a prayer called a a poor L prayer, which means a prayer of intercession. He says, find a way so that God will hear your prayer. Find a way so that these people can come to God. It was almost as if God was challenging Solomon. You know, these men, they climbed open, they broke open the roof, and they lowered their friend to Jesus. And God was saying to Solomon, in exactly the same way, you must lower your nation and your land to God. And I tell you today, you have friends, you have family, you have neighbors, you have people in this community, and there is no way that they are going to Jesus. There is no way that they are getting up on their feet and walking to Jesus. And you have a choice. You can ask them, you can just sit, wait for them to get to Jesus, or wait for Jesus to get to them, or, yep, thanks, or you can lower them to Jesus yourself. Sorry, my voice is just like gone. I don't know why. And my question to you today is this. Who do you need to lower to Jesus? Who do you need to lower to Jesus? Who do you need to tie on the end of this rope and lower to Jesus? Who are you not just praying for? Because I'm sure most of us, we've got people that we pray for. But who are you petitioning God for? You know, when you sign a petition, I don't know how many of you have ever signed a petition. But when you sign a petition, you basically put your name on it, you sign it, and then somebody, it could be you, it could be somebody else, takes it to somebody who has the authority to do something about an issue that you have. And when you petition God, what you are doing, you are taking an issue or you are taking a person or a community to God because you know God is the one who can do something about it. And these four men, they knew that Jesus could heal their paralyzed friend. They knew that. And so what they did, they petitioned Jesus by lowering their friend on a rope to Jesus. And I ask you, who are you lowering to Jesus? Who are you petitioning to Jesus? You know, it's not rude or out of place to try to twist God's arm. The Bible is full of stories of people who convince God to move in a situation. 
And I believe that God desires that of His people. I believe God desires, to, desires us to lower people to Him. You know, my dad would always tell me of his mother. His mother was made a widow at the age of 37. Back then, the welfare, there was hardly any welfare. And so she had to go to work. She worked 10 hours a day, and it took her an hour each way to catch the bus. So she was out of the house for 12 hours a day. The woman was tired because then she came home, and she had two children to look after. And she was heavily involved in her church. And my dad says he would often wake up in the middle of the night and suddenly hear a noise. And he would go downstairs into the kitchen and he would see his mother, his widowed mother, kneeling on the kitchen floor, on the cold kitchen floor, with a blanket over her head, just crying out to God for her children. Crying out to God, petitioning God, interceding, mediating before God for her children. And you know, my dad says, he says, it's those images that stay in my mind when I think of my mother. He says, my mother was just someone who understood what it was to bring other people to Jesus. And you know, my other grandmother on my mother's side, she was a woman of prayer, always praying. And I remember the day we got a phone call that she had passed away. I remember walking into her house, into the house. My grandfather, he was away preaching uh, 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 the, in the, uh, uh, the other side of England. And my dad called and he says, you better come home. He says, he says I found your grandmother. And I went into the room where she was. She was lying on the floor. She, you know, she had false teeth. Her teeth were were out. And, you know, she was dead. She was cold. She had died. And I remember, that was in 1997. And for the weeks and months after, I just felt this incredible spiritual attack upon my life. I got involved in some things that maybe I shouldn't have got involved in. And I started to realize and evaluate that my life with God wasn't as good as it was before my grandmother died. And I started realizing, I understood that now there was somebody who used to petition God for me was no longer there. She was not petitioning God for me any longer because she couldn't. And I felt the effects of somebody not praying for me. For all the years, I didn't know that she was praying. Well, I knew she was praying, but I didn't know what the effects were of her praying. But it wasn't until she died, I understood that her prayers were keeping Jesus close by me. And for you, and each and every one of you, you have friends, you have family, you have neighbors, you have people in your community. And unless you lower them to Jesus, unless you bring them to Jesus, unless you petition Jesus for them, then they're not going to meet Jesus. And maybe Jesus isn't walking by them. You've got to bring them to Jesus. The prayer of the intercessor, the prayer 
of the person who petitions God is a powerful prayer. The reality of the moment for Solomon was that Solomon was living in a time that there was plague all over the land. And I believe that we are living in those times. We don't see physical plagues. You know, we've got, we've got water, you know, to drink. They didn't have water to drink. We've got water to drink. We don't have physical plagues. But I believe that we are living in a nation where spiritually we are disease-ridden. I honestly believe, and I'll be honest with you this morning, as a nation, we have allowed the plague of politics to overtake, the plague of Hollywood to, to infiltrate our minds and our lives. Political correctness and tolerance is now like the must-have. We must be politically correct and tolerant. But the reality is, is all it's doing. It's causing our nation to be more disease-ridden. And we're once in this nation, throughout this nation, churches, when you walked in, you felt the manifestation of the presence of God. Now when you walk into many churches, and I hope this isn't us, but it has, I know it probably has been at times, when you walk into churches, you don't feel God anymore. Because the manifestation, well, the manifest presence of God isn't there anymore. You know, once we lived in a land, it was, we were full, it was good, it was plenty. And now we live in a land that is full of hurt and is full of godlessness. You know, I, I, I saw a statistic this week, it was on the news. There has been more suicides in the U.S. Army of people based in the United States this year than there has been people who have been killed in Afghanistan. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Why? Because people are so far away from God. There's godlessness. And if ever was a time to petition God for our friends and our families and our neighbors, it is now. The hour is dark and God is crying out to his people. He is knocking on their door to humble themselves and then to intercede and mediate on behalf of your friends your family, your neighbors, and your community. As we close, I just want to let, read one last story to you. The night that Jesus was betrayed was a dark night. Jesus knew that there was a darkness that was coming. He was going to die. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, when Jesus and his disciples went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. Then he took Peter, James, and John, which were his most trusted disciples, with him. And then Jesus became deeply troubled and distressed. It says, he took them, or he said to them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then Jesus went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it was possible, that this awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then this is what happened. So Jesus told James, Peter, and John, 
He said, stay here and watch, which means stay here and pray. Stay here and intercede with me, mediate with me. When Jesus returned, he found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Then Jesus says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And Jesus left them again and prayed. And he, he, went, he went a little further and he prayed the same prayer as before. And then when Jesus returned to them, he found them sleeping. For they couldn't keep their eyes open. And they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them a third time, he says, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest, but know the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Oh, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Jesus knew that the time was critical. They had to pray, but yet the disciples chose to sleep. And you know, over the last three, four weeks, you know, I like to have a lot of fun and, you know, and say some crazy things at times and, you know, and enjoy and and laugh and things. But the reality is, over the last four weeks, I've been very serious, really serious, in what I've been talking about. Haven't cracked many jokes or made some, as many, you know, stories. But the reality is, is the reason is because just like Jesus, Jesus enjoyed himself. I mean, Jesus had a good feast, ate a good meal, drank good wine. You know, he enjoyed himself. But when the time is dark and the time is serious, Jesus got to business. And I honestly believe that we are in a period of time right now where it is serious. It is serious. And it's not something that we just go home and we're like... Well, yeah, God moved upon my life a little bit. Great. I'll, you know, go home and then get up Monday morning. Everything will be the same. No, the time is serious. And the reality is, is we are living in a dark, dark time where this nation and this community around us and your friends and your neighbors, they are drifting and drifting further and further away from God. And Jesus is saying, will you watch? Will you watch with me? Will you watch? Jesus is saying, pray a prayer of intercession. Mediate, petition God on others' behalf. And you know, there's going to be a time when Jesus is going to come back. And I don't know when that time is. But when Jesus comes back, what will he see? Will he see the church sleeping? Or will he see the church praying this poor L prayer, this interceding prayer? Will he cry out to the church, awake, why are you sleeping? Or, because of our prayers, will he reach down and heal our land? What will Jesus say to Generation Church? Would he say, could you not watch even one hour? Could you not pray one hour? Could you not get up on a roof and lower the people that, that, that need me to Jesus? Or will he say, because of your prayers, 
because you humbled yourself before me, because you did lower those people to me, I will heal, I will forgive, and I will restore. You know, you don't have to be gifted to intercede. You know, in fact, when you intercede before God, the real intercessors are those who humble themselves before God. And often, when you are in a state of humility, you are in a state of brokenness. You are in a state of hurt. And broken people are often weak. And they feel that they have nothing to give. And if you feel that you have nothing to give, then you are in a perfect place to intercede for other people. Because it's humility that opens the door to God. And it is through this humbleness that God leans in. And he starts to listen. And I tell you today, God is listening. God is listening to your prayers. And God is listening to your requests. And when you get up on a roof and you lower your friends and your family to Jesus, God is listening. He is ready to hear your plea. And he is ready to heal and forgive those who are at the end of your rope. And so today, God is asking you to intercede. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to close today by reading a part of a prayer of intercession that a guy called Isaiah prayed to God. Isaiah was in a land where people had just turned away from God. They did not want anything to do with God. And this is what he said. In Isaiah chapter 64, it says, Oh God, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence. As fire causes wood to burn and water to boil, your coming would make the nations tremble. Then he says, in uh, verse 5, it says, You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways, but you have been very angry with us. For we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected with impure sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. It says, and yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Don't be angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray, and see that we are your people. Your holy cities are destroyed. Zion, which was Jerusalem, is a wilderness. Yes, Jerusalem is a desolate ruin. The holy and beautiful temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned down and all the things of beauty are destroyed. Then he says this, after all this, Lord, after all this, must you still refuse to help us? Will you continue to be silent and punish us? This is intercession. This is petitioning God. This is a poor L prayer. 
And I ask you today, will you intercede? Will you get up on a roof and lower people to Jesus?